please, and turn to Psalm 90. Psalm 90 this morning. We'll be considering what this text has to say to us as we think of this time of year as we enter into a new year. Uh, next week and over the next several weeks, we'll begin our annual series on the habits of grace. Um, Pastor Stephen, Pastor Jonathan, and I will be focusing on the priorities of the church, worship, build, advance, and then we'll have two other men speaking on the Word of God and on prayer. So we look forward to that series again starting next week. Um, we do want to take the opportunity, I believe this is the last day that one of our members will be with us. Ben Heyman is moving to Pennsylvania in God's providence. He's led him to a new ministry. We are grateful. I told him I was both, I had mixed feelings. I'm both sad um, to see him go. He's been a faithful servant, um, came here for college and got involved in the church and continued to serve for years afterward. Um, but also excited, excited for what God is doing and for his leading in his life, taking him to another ministry. So this is his last Sunday with us, so you make sure you greet him and tell him, share your appreciation with him. As we consider the conclusion of one year and begin of an, another, it is an opportune moment to consider how we are using our time. So let's take this morning to evaluate how did you use your time last year? How would you like to invest it better in the coming year? Christians have written much and spoken often about using our days and years in a God-honoring way. At 88 years of age, Billy Graham was interviewed and asked what he'd learned about life. He replied, it's short. It's very short. Spurgeon said of this topic from Psalm 90, a short life. And by that, he was being informed by Psalm 90. Every life is really, um, by this uh, estimation, short. A short life should be wisely spent. We have not enough time at our disposal to justify the misspending of even a quarter of an hour. Neither are we sure of enough life to justify procrastinating a single hour. If we were wise in heart, we would see this. Another famous evangelist stated in one of his books, the greatest waste in all the earth which cannot be reclaimed is the waste of the time we are given each day. And finally, we all know well the famous quote from Jim Elliot, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last how have you been viewing your time? How are you investing it? How will you invest the few days, the few years you have left? Let's consider what God says to us in his word from Psalm 90. This is the word of our God to us as people. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They, our years, are like a dream. 
like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let's ask for his help as we consider his word together. Gracious God, we rejoice that you are from everlasting to everlasting. We confess that we are frail, we are temporary, we are momentary. And yet, what is man that you are mindful of him? Lord, you sent your own son to become a man, to enter into this brokenness, that we might have hope in this life, this brief life. Help us to see your glory, your worth, your majesty this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Our text will teach us this morning that we are to pursue wisdom and joy in the eternal God through our momentary lives. This psalm is a beautiful work of literature, and of course, it's much more than that as well. The superscription attributes this prayer to Moses. So just think about that in the time sequence. This is the oldest psalm in our Bibles. This is one of the oldest pieces of literature that mankind has. It would have been written sometime near the writing of Job and Genesis, the first books written in our Old Testament. Now in this psalm, Moses highlights three staggering and troubling realities, and he concludes with one very instructive prayer. So first, the eternal greatness of God, seen in verses 1 and 2. In these two verses, Moses is seeking to establish the faithfulness of God. He writes, Lord, the name he uses is Adonai, mighty one, the creator, the powerful ruler of all creation. You, God, have been our dwelling place in all generations. You've cared for us. You've watched over us. Moses is stating that God has offered his people a home in all places and to all generations. He's faithfully provided for them every single day of their lives. This title or this description, dwelling place here, means a place of refuge and a home. And again, think about who's writing this. Moses, the great leader of Israel through the wilderness wanderings for decades He understands what it is to be without the benefit of a permanent dwelling place. And yet in spite of that, he says God has always been his home. 
his dwelling place. That's a truth that we can claim as well. God will always be our dwelling place. In verse 1, he's marveling at God's unchangeableness, his eternal unchangeableness. In verse 2, he goes on to further highlight God's eternality. Before the mountains were brought forth. Think of that picturesque, poetic language. How long do you suppose that is? Before the mountains were even brought forth. God existed long before that. Or ever you had formed the earth and the world. Moses establishes the truth that God, the almighty creator, is eternal. He says, from everlasting to everlasting. God not only reigns supreme over all creation, he reigns supreme over time. From eternity past to eternity future, you are God. Our God is the Lord of life. He's the Lord of time. Now, knowing where this psalm moves... Why does Moses start by highlighting God's eternal unchangeableness? It really, in a way, doesn't fit the tone of what's coming next, does it? What's he doing? His purpose is to demonstrate, by contrast, the great difference between God and man in relation to time. Moses now intends to confront us with the reality of our mortality. So secondly, we see the temporal frailty of man. He now turns his pen to address the staggeringly momentary nature of man in comparison to the staggeringly eternality of our God. The never beginning and never ending reality of God stands in stark contrast. That's the picture being painted. This great distance Notice that Moses is clearly stating that God not only holds our lives in our hands, he will say in verse 3 that he holds our death in his hands. He commands the day of our deaths. Verse 3 says, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. Remember, Moses is the author of Genesis. He knows well God's words to Adam from Genesis 3.19. Where God told him, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. You see, God actively sustains our existence moment by moment. Until that time, he makes the decision for us to return to the dust from which we came. In verses 3 and 4, he's making the point that our lives are staggeringly brief. To him, a thousand years are just like a single day that has passed. I want you to think of that metaphor that he's presenting for us. Think about how brief a day seems in our memories. Christmas was, what, just six days ago now? Can you remember how you spent your day? You recounted how you spent your time. How long would it take you to do so? If I had to do that, I think it would probably take me somewhere less than two minutes. Just summarizing. Now for some of you, it would probably take you a little bit longer. Maybe you'd give more detail. Maybe you can remember more detail. But the point is, when we think of the days that have passed, they seem small and brief. 
and fleeting. That is not descriptive enough. He goes on to say that a thousand years to God are like a watch in the night. For the Jews, a night would be broken into 12 hours, into three or four segments or watches. A watch in the night would have probably been equal to four hours. So just consider, do you remember what was happening last night between midnight and 4 a.m.? How was that time spent? When you woke up this morning, how long did it seem like you had been asleep? Even this word or this description of a thousand years, even the man who lived the longest ever recorded, Methuselah, is just short of a thousand years, 969 years, he died. And once the years rolled by, even as long as that was, they were all like yesterday. To God, that thousand-year lifespan is but a day. They're over, completed, finished, never to return. Life is very brief. In verses 5 and 6, Moses demonstrates that life is not only brief, it's also fragile. Time sweeps away our years as a swollen, raging river sweeps away debris. Maybe you've seen images of a river swollen by a flood. You might see an object floating through those floodwaters as that river is raging. You could spot that object for a moment, and then it's gone. It may appear on the top, but it's quickly washed away. That's how God, that's how Moses describes our years. It's like snowflakes landing on a river. You see them fall. They hit the water, gone. He uses another, another image in stating that our years are like a dream. When I try to remember my dreams, it always seems like you're trying to grab hold of something like smoke, right? I can remember bits and pieces but nothing truly of substance. Perhaps even more significant is it seems that Moses is also seeming to point out with this metaphor that we pass through life as if we're asleep spiritually. We're not paying attention. We don't even realize that our lives are passing us by so swiftly. Just think about it. Where did 2023 go? We so often waste our lives in meaningless and foolish pursuits. God's word repeats this theme of the brevity of human life again and again. And it is instructive. It is wisdom for us to look at, even though we might not want to. The Bible speaks of this often. James 4, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Psalm 39, behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Job 9, my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. Like a sewing machine shuttle moving back and forth with great speed. Again, Job 7, my days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. My days are like an eagle swooping on the prey. Finally, 
what we see here in verse 5. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream. The point is clear and we feel it. We're supposed to feel it. We feel it all the more as time passes. Do you ever think about how fast time is going? I had one of those yearly milestones that just happened a couple of days ago. Jenny and I celebrated our 17th wedding anniversary. 17 years already. It's gone by in the blink of an eye. I still have images of, obviously, in my mind of that happy day, of our wedding day. But again, one of the most momentous days of my life are just images that I can flash into my mind unless I'm helped by a picture or something. On the day I got married at 26, I had little perspective on time. I had my whole life ahead of me. We were just starting out in life. But the years are flying by. The psalm is urging each of us to come to terms with the brevity of our lives. Now why is this how it is? Why is this what Moses wants to put right in front of our faces to look at and meditate on and think about clearly? Why do we have to die? Why does life move so fast? Why is it so short? We see thirdly the devastating consequences of sin. Now it is not uniquely Christian to notice that life is incredibly brief. Philosophers throughout the ages have noticed that. But Moses next explains why this is the case. Why our lives are so staggeringly brief and fleeting. Moses answers in verse 7, it is because of our sin. He says, for we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. In verse 8, the word for iniquities focuses on the internal nature of our sins that are revealed externally. And by focusing on the internal, he's saying this is a part of you. This is who you are. God is right to be angry at sin. God is just. Jesus made that abundantly clear. He said in Matthew 15, 18 through 20, the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. And these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, False testimony, slander, these are what defile a person. Verse 8 goes on to declare with poetic parallelism that there is no such thing as secret sin. Every man's true heart is exposed before the eyes of a sovereign God. The light of God's presence reveals even the darkest corners of our hearts. Even when we trick ourselves, even when we deceive ourselves into thinking that no one knows, no matter how close they are, our wives, our brothers, our children, nobody knows about what's happening in my mind and in my heart or when I'm alone. But God knows. And he's rightly angry with our sin. Verse 9 says, all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. One author notes, the long days and fast years are like a mumble or a sigh when they're over. We're left with only the faint shell, the hollow whisper of memory. 
Verse 10 is a well-known verse telling us in general terms, we have about 70 years to live. Or perhaps we're healthy and strong, we'll live to 80 years. Life is exceedingly brief. If that's the number, how much time do you have left? In verse 11, Moses exclaims almost in exasperation, who even considers your wrath? Part of the curse is that we are extremely short-sighted and blinded to the realities of eternity. Just evaluate in your own life. How many times this past week did you consider your eternal future? As you are going about the events of your day, as you're getting together with family around the holidays, how much time did you spend thinking, I'm an eternal being that will end up somewhere forever? How often did you intentionally seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Did you have your mind set on things above or primarily on the things of this life? One author states that Moses observes that part of the nature of sin is that men hardly ever realize the ultimate relationship between mortality and sin because they live for the moment. Every human being, no matter how rich or powerful or influential, will succumb to the ravages of time and death. It's a certainty. These verses then reveal that we should fear God and we should fear him far more than we do. At the end of the day, when the allotted span of life has been completed, all die under the righteous application of God's holy standard. So where is our hope? Where are these harsh realities leading us? That's what we find in the last portion of the psalm. We see our complete dependence on the steadfast love of God. I want you to notice the turn in the text there in verse 12. There's a change of tone. Thus far, this psalm might leave us with a sense of sadness, of longing, of futility. Is there nothing man can do about the devastating effects of our sin and certain judgment of God? These verses tell us that there is something we can do, but more important, that there is something that God has done. Notice that from verses 12 through 17, there are nine different verbs functioning as imperatives that function then, they serve as the plea, the prayer, the petition of the believer. We see it first in verse 12. So teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. So here's our first petition. God, help me live in the light of the brevity of life. Help me to live in the fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom. The point of God telling us our days are short is not so that we despair and run from him. It's so that we look at him and make the most of the days he's given us. Knowing that his days are numbered, as are all of ours, one believing professional athlete counts down the remaining years of his life using stones in a glass jar that he keeps outside of his home. He says, this now sits on my front porch, 720 stones. 
If I live to be 90, there's one for every month left. I'll take one out as each month passes. It's a great reminder for me to live a life of meaning and impact. That's one way to number our days. And while it may be helpful to think this way, the truth is that none of us knows how many days, months, or years we have left. The point is that God intends for us to make the most of every day that he's given us. Consider the psalmist's prayer in Psalm 39. Oh Lord, make me know my end. And what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. I read of one theologian who's placed a replica of a human skull in a prominent place on his office bookshelf and makes sure that the clocks in his room, in his office, can be easily heard. He got this idea from others in reading of Puritans in the past. He's intentionally seeking constant reminders that his life is brief and fleeting and will soon be over. Teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. You see, this doesn't come naturally to us. We need to be instructed by God's word. Wisdom would teach us to live in light of our end and by God's grace then seek to make the best choices every day. Moses continues his series of petitions in verses 13 through 17. He next cries out, Return, O Jehovah! How long? Have pity on your servants. Notice he uses the covenant name of God now and cries out to God in his faithfulness. This is a heart of dependence. It's based on the realization that without God's mercy and compassion, we have no hope. In verse 14, we find the next petition. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love so that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Moses' prayer demonstrates complete dependence that God alone can satisfy us. Even in a world under the wrath of God. Do you see, this is the center. This is the hope found in the psalm. But we must seek satisfaction from the proper source. Solomon speaks all about it in the book of Ecclesiastes. C.S. Lewis has that excellent quote in his book, The Weight of Glory. He writes, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Where are you seeking satisfaction in this life? A career? A romantic relationship? Achievement? Financial security? Would Lewis's words describe you? Again, Moses appeals to the character of God. Look again at that phrase, all our days, at the end of verse 13. This is the second time that phrase has appeared. And notice it back in verse 9. Contrast how these two phrases are used. What's around them? It's a move from wrath to gladness. How do we move from wrath to joy and gladness all our days? Through the steadfast love of God. 
Alexander McLaren stated, the only thing that will secure lifelong gladness is a heart satisfied with the experience of God's love. So one pastor makes this application. God's steadfast love is not just critical to the thought of verse 14. It's critical to our existence. It reverses everything. We've been wrecked, completely devastated by our sin and God's righteous judgment on it. We live all our days under that judgment, that weight with the brevity of our lives always right there in front of our faces, whether we think about it or not. It's dismaying. So we cry out, oh Lord, have pity, rescue us. Bring us out of the hopelessness of all of that. Show some favor to us. Instead of dismaying us, satisfy us. Bring us to a place of wholeness. And we know that he will do that. At least Moses knows. It's the steadfast love of the Lord for his people that will accomplish this. It is the demonstration of, the expression of God's deep-hearted commitment to love his people. It's his steadfast love and it's entirely of his own initiative. We placed ourselves under his judgment. He will take the initiative to rescue us from his own judgment. Doesn't that remind you again of the gospel? Doesn't it remind you of Romans chapter 5? For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the only thing that will cause a people who've been so devastated by sin and God's judgment to be rescued. And therefore, it changes everything so that we can be glad all our days. If God doesn't show his steadfast love for us, we're still back in verses 7 and 9, still dismayed by God's anger, passing our days under his wrath with no hope. If you don't know Christ as your personal Savior this morning, you have no chance to find true wisdom or joy in this life. Now certainly you might find temporary pleasures, but they'll only remain temporarily enjoyable. Without a relationship with God through Christ, you have no hope of eternal life. You have no hope of finding true meaning in this brief and frail existence. So turn to Christ from sin this morning. Consider what he offers to everyone who trusts in him. In verses 15 and 16, Moses now asks God to make us glad, to give us joy for as many days as you have afflicted us. We recognize we're still under the sun, as Solomon would put it in Ecclesiastes, in a sin-cursed world. But we can still ask God to make us glad in that setting. Verse 16, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Think about what that means in verse 16, that we should be teaching our children about the nature of life, its brevity, its inability to satisfy. That's a challenge, isn't it? That's a challenge, especially in America. We not only need to teach them these truths by our words, but also by our example. We can tell them that we're trusting in God and seeking his kingdom, but does our bank account Does our shopping habits, does our giving statement, 
Our Amazon record demonstrate that to be true? Does our verbalized worries and anxieties betray a different confidence? Do our priorities show that we understand these truths? Are we modeling what it is to be fully dependent on the steadfast love of God? The final petitions in verse 17 request God's grace and twice asks for him to establish the work of our hands. Again, it's dependence. It's prayer. The work of God will endure and only with his blessing will ours. How then does this psalm encourage us to respond? It encourages us to pursue our sovereign, eternal, covenant-keeping God and rest in him. He's the only one that can give your life meaning. This prayer of Moses emphasizes that our lives are staggeringly brief. That's a hard truth for us to look at, but a necessary one. It teaches that joy and wisdom are found in his steadfast love. Nothing else in this world can offer that kind of joy. Therefore, it calls you to pursue your sovereign, eternal, covenant-keeping God because he alone can establish the work of your hands. One pastor summarized the text stating that life is in God's hands. We see that as he's our dwelling place That death is in our hands. He commands us to return to the dust. Judgment is in his hands. He's rightly angry with man's sins and the boundaries of life and death are a part of that judgment. But finally, grace is in his hands. Through Jesus, we can know the steadfast love of God. We can gladly number our days because he can make each one of them eternally meaningful. Presbyterian pastor from the 1800s, William Plummer, wrote, let us be anxious to live well rather than to live long. He says some die old at 30, some die young at 80. Let us not waste our lives in idle regrets or vain wishes. When Queen Elizabeth I was on her deathbed in 1603, breathing her last breaths, she cried out, all my possessions for a moment of time. But when Mary of Orange was faced with her death, the chaplain asked her about the destiny of her soul. She said, I have not left that matter to this hour. Have you settled where you will spend eternity? Life is exceedingly brief and fragile. We're not guaranteed another day, another year. One person has said each person's life is captured by the dash between the years of your birth and death on your gravestone. How are you filling in that little dash? Isaac Watts wrote the hymn, O God, our help in ages past to reflect the truths of Psalm 90. Stanzas 5 and 6 read, Time like an ever-rolling stream bears all its sons away. They fly, forgotten as a dream, dies at the opening of the day. O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. Be thou our guard while life shall last and our eternal home. Through his steadfast love, he is our home.
And we can gladly move into another year numbering our days that they may be truly blessed in his service. Let's ask for his blessing as we close in prayer. Our great eternal God in heaven, we tremble at your power, at your sovereignty, yet we worship you. You have been faithful even when we are not. You provide a home to us in your fellowship if we will only turn to you in trust. Father, our lives are frighteningly brief. This is a staggering, even terrifying truth for us. And yet there's hope because of Christ. Because in him we can have eternal life. The sting of death is gone. Because he was raised, we know that we can have life forevermore. So may we, as we turn into a new year, may we turn our eyes to Christ again. May we give our lives in service to him. May we seek to make every day, every moment count. May even the truths of this psalm challenge and encourage us to think well and carefully and intentionally about how we are spending and investing our time. So establish the work of our hands. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.